Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. And we had the pleasure of connecting with these right people back in, I want to say, was it December, the Governor's Innovation Celebration. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. might not even remember. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, would ex- I would expect you to. Uh, Kate, who I'd had the pleasure of having on with us a couple of times, you're uh, chief of people, I think, right? Chief mm-hmm. officer of people. Yep. <laughs> yeah. She was the one who, who said, hey, come over. Hey, it's great to reconnect. And then told us about the great company. You briefly got to say hello. Annie, I think you're out of town. You do not yes. live here in Arizona. That's right. Yeah. So we were excited. We were there because uh, Steve Zoster and I do the Arizona Tech Council show together. have been doing that for three years. And we wanted to go see, you know, who was creating some great waves in the area of technology and you guys specifically around motor vehicles and battery power and all that great stuff. So let me formally introduce our guests today because we are getting ready for a rich conversation. We have the Atlas Motor Vehicles team founder and CEO, Mark Hanchett. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Happy to have you. And Annie Pratt, president. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So tell us a little bit about Atlas Motors, just the maybe the flyover, you know, the the, the high profile. And then we'll, I want to hear about your backgrounds, how you two connected, and then we'll talk a little deeper about what, what the great things are that you're up to and who you're serving. Do you, do you want me to go <laughs> That's first? You. All yeah. right. So at high level Atlas Motor Vehicles, uh, we tag ourselves as a vertically integrated electric vehicle company, technology company. But what's very interesting is Our mission statement is actually built around solving complex problems that have a lasting impact. So it's not just about vehicles. It's can we use technology to make people's lives better? Can we use technology to make an impact in the world? Electric vehicles is a hot topic today. Batteries are a hot topic today. So we're very much so focused on the infrastructure, um, energy side of the this particular segment or problem that's out there today. Tomorrow, it'll be vehicles, but that's not necessarily what we'll do forever. Right. Um, there's always opportunity to leverage that technology or find something new um, that maybe plugs into that sort of ecosystem that we're building uh, that can make that lasting impact. So Atlas today, we're an energy company today. We're building battery cells, we're building packs, we're manufacturing it. We're technically the first U.S.-born, right here in Mesa, Arizona, U.S.-owned, U.S.-operated battery cell manufacturing and pack manufacturing company in the entire United States. There are a lot of manufacturers in the United States, but they're typically, they source their battery cells outside, or maybe they're foreign-owned, or they've sort of been imported um, due to demand. We are the first one that's actually born here, operating here, manufacturing here at a scale level, not necessarily just at an R&D level, and working towards uh, delivering those packs and cell solutions very, very quickly. How important was that for you to do that, and how difficult was it? So to solve this problem that we talk about, if you're, if you're talking about like how difficult are batteries and, and why do that first? Or? Well, well, U.S., right? So if you're the first, mm-hmm. um, was that important to you? Did you set off saying, we're going to do this? Yes. And then the other half of that is, how difficult was it to, to land on the map and say, we're the first for, in the U.S. to do this? So it's incredibly challenging because the talent isn't necessarily originating here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of talent overseas in Korea, in China, and Japan, 
there's talent in Europe. There isn't or wasn't at the time a tremendous amount of talent in the United States. Um, that's changing very, very rapidly right now. You're seeing it uh, a focus in schools and colleges, universities. Arizona State has a battery innovation lab that um, they're operating today. So you've got a large number, well, relative large number of students, right, that are coming up through those different programs. So, uh, but to start it here in the United States, it's very important because we started with this idea of electrifying pickup trucks. And as we know, that is inherently a U.S. like staple in the sort of vehicle industry. We are known for our pickup trucks. It's like one of the most important, if not the most important vehicle in the entire United States. It's, you know, it's Detroit, right? It's Michigan. It's American made. It's, there's a brand and a, and a, emotion that comes with that and being able to do the rest of this here in the U.S. creates opportunity and reduces complexity and yeah, you, know, you want to add to this? I yeah. would add that, you know, where we come from before this, um, we have experience with manufacturing overseas. And what we learned is it is so much faster and easier and more financially efficient if you can do it in-house. Because when something's going wrong, we walk over and say, this isn't working. Let's solve this problem, right? And so when you're talking about battery technology, it would have cost us a ton more money to get to initial proof of concept if we weren't doing it under our own roof. And it would have taken us a lot longer. And so while it seems like maybe the untraditional path, for us, it was just the fastest, easiest, most efficient way to do it at first. Then we realized, wait, no one else is doing this. That's cool. We're the first American company building batteries in America. That's huge. That's awesome. (laughs) But the intention wasn't for us to be the only, right? I would assume that other companies would want to do this. It's just kind of untraditional. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, we we took this different path, I guess. Most start in the end and then work their way sort of to the beginning. We started at the beginning and we'll work our way towards the end. I know Kate shared a little bit about your background, which I was fascinated by, and I want to hear, you alluded to the two of you who came from manufacturing. Had you worked together previously, and, and how did this come about that you both are landed here at Atlas? Yeah, I yeah, can go take ahead. this one. Yeah, yeah. So um, we both worked at Axon previously, which is a well-known company here in the Valley. I was in a product management role at the time, and Mark was running the engineering org, and so we were working together on a program. This was years ago. After that that project sort of finished, I went on to run a different part of the business, the consumer products group there at Axon. Mark started Atlas, and it was years later where um, I basically hit him up and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, we got lunch. He told me about it. It was the type of opportunity that could change the world. And so I was like, I have to be part of this um, however I could. And so then we're working together again. Yeah, she abbreviated a bunch of that. But yeah, that's, yeah. Fill, it, fill in the holes. Are there parts well, that she left out? <laughs> no, I mean, it, she's the thing that we did before. I mean, we we spent, I spent 10 years there. You spent uh, five. five years there. I mean, we worked on programs that has shaped an entire space and conversation mm-hmm. in the world today. And to be able to do that again is a very, very powerful thing. When Annie hit me up and we went to lunch, uh, we had lunch and and I'm going to tell this story, I guess, a little bit, yeah. is uh, afterwards, because it, it was still just, it was like me and a few people at my house, working out of the garage, um, and we're sort of getting started. And she actually defined how she wanted to help and how she wanted to do this. And when she did that, I was like, okay, like this makes absolute sense. Um, and it's been fantastic working together because we've sort of like 
co-opted this thing to to build this thing from where we were to where we are today. And it's it's been this incredible journey, but um, it's exciting because we get to kind of do this again where we get to make a big impact in the world. We get to make a big change in the world. And we get to apply that philosophy that we had before mm-hmm. to a market that is very traditional and it's the way it does things. Maybe even archaic. Yes. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so to, to have that vision and already the great success that you've already had has been phenomenal. So talk a little bit about all that's transpired. What what has what have you been up to even just the last couple of years? And and because because you've been around, I mean, from garage. Yeah, 2016 right. is when I incorporated. 2018 is when I started raising my first dollar. I want to talk uh, about that too. Yeah. So in between there, I did a lot of research and trying to understand the market and what are the right choices and where do we go? It's, it's you know, one person sort of on their couch and traveling and trying to understand, you know, what is the right decision? We haven't, I have not changed and, and we haven't changed the business model since that date. So since 2018, when we launched first crowdfunding round, our business model has not changed. And that's mm-hmm. rare in this industry. There's a lot of sort of pivots or maybe we'll do something else or abandon different programs and things like that. We haven't changed at all since then. We're pretty confident in the direction we're going and what we're doing and and how we're doing this. What do you attribute that to? If I can ask that it stay this I'm I'm going to take a stab at thinking it's because you just went so broad with where your focus was and then went down this lane. Is that does is that part of why you feel like the business plan is is the way it has been since 2018? I think that it comes down to knowing, okay, we wanted to solve for electric pickups in the beginning, but really diving into what is the core problem and like taking Uh, the time to understand why those don't exist yet. That core problem is very specific and hasn't changed. And we built our entire business around solving that mm -hmm. problem. So like you can't compromise on the problem you're solving. And you knew it very well in the beginning. This is exactly the problem we have to solve. And so that hasn't changed. Okay. So 2018, 2019, keep going. Okay. Well, all right. So um, 2018, I don't come from a background where I had a lot of connections and a lot of sort of, you know, I come from a humble background personally, but I didn't have all of the connections to maybe different venture capitalists or private equity and funding steps. I did a lot of pitches, fell flat because it always came down to who are you? Where do you come from? You know, what have you done so far? And I was like, well, I, you know, put my personal money into this, but I don't, you know, I come from Axon, not automotive. And you're like some guy with this vision of a monstrous, like, Plan, yeah. right? Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm here and I'm I need a couple grand to get this off the ground. This was a big, huge thing. Very capital. Yeah. <laughs> no one does this for for a little bit of money. Yeah. Right. So, you know, at the time there was like Kickstarters and like all this stuff going on. And for a long time I was like, well, if I'm gonna build a product and I have to build a market. Otherwise, I'm just out there sort of like I'll if I could raise a bunch of money and then put a product out and I'm wrong. I fail, but I fail harder than everybody else. I might have figured out how to do something, but it, it doesn't really matter. And this vision was, it was big and it was, it was broad. And it, but I sort of centered on if I can find a way to build a market, but have that market potentially 
help fund us. If they're if we're doing the right things, then people would put money behind it if they were interested in what we're doing. And that's actually really hard to do. It's hard enough to convince one person to give you a million dollars, but now convince 2,500 people to give you a few hundred to tens of thousands of dollars and have them trust you with that and be visible and transparent with it and you know have to reach out to all of them. It sounded like fun, I guess. <laughs> so uh, I took the last little bit of money I had, um, created some graphics with like a bare minimum PowerPoint level graphics. Um, a gentleman named Raul did the first truck design for us out of Brazil, did a fantastic job with the first truck. I had another friend do some advertisements for us and I launched a crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding campaign. So what that means is I'm publicly raising funds for a business. They're buying stock in the business like you would in an IPO, but you're doing it at a private level and you're doing it from retail investors and accredited investors. And I launched with four followers, one of which was me. (laughs) Um, The other three were friends. One thought I was full of crap. I do swear, and I'm going to try not to do it. It's internet radio. It's internet radio. Great. (laughs) Although we are on LinkedIn, so we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Uh, LinkedIn, they've heard me do it. Right. So... It, it, you know, I started from that point and I hired five people with no money. I had no idea how I was going to pay their uh, their first paychecks. Um, I had like the last 10 grand in my pocket and that was going towards ads, which I had never done before. Um, so it was like this sort of hadn't done this, hadn't done this, hadn't like this five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 things that I've never done before mm-hmm. and I had to learn very, very quickly. Because if you look at it, it's like your, your bank account's going like this, you're You've got people now and you're trying to build a team and you're trying to build a vision. You're trying to convince people to give you money while you're doing this. And I have no idea how to do all of it. So the first million dollars took me 12 months to do. And we got a big splash towards the end of that. And we actually overraised. We were oversubscribed by almost another million dollars. But our limit per the SEC was a million bucks. So we raised a million dollars, made some progress. We built a battery demo charged a battery at an EVgo station outside of a PetSmart in 12 minutes, 47 seconds on like a table um, with like these canopies and it was hot. And there was a BMW like i3 parked next to us waiting to use the charging station while we're doing like, this. Just a minute. Yeah, just one. <laughs> less give than us, 15. Yeah, less, yeah. 15 minutes, promise. <laughs> yeah. We did, accomplished a lot that with a million dollars. We did more design work, more technology work. We built a concept of the platform. We built this prototype battery pack. And that lasted to about the first half of 2019. And then I'm just going to put it out there like we ran out of money. Yep. I had no idea. I had to do financial audits to do the next crowdfunding round. Um, had no idea how to do that. Had to find an auditor. Prices were high. Had to find a lawyer to do some stuff. We found our current uh, general counsel, Jordan, who's amazing. He's been with us since around 2019 found a, an auditor to do the financial. I had to find someone to do financials. I am not the person that should be doing financials. And then Annie, of course, met with her that fall of 2019 and she joined the company. And then I'm going to let her yeah, take it tell okay. the rest Be- of the before story. Before she does, okay, and I am very interested in hearing the rest of the story, I'm curious about what's going on in you when, when you run out of money, you still believe in the stream, you know you've got you know a longer runway, What's what's happening for you, personal development or personal development-wise? Because there's that piece that we don't often talk about. Part of us is freaking out. Yeah, don't do this when you have a girlfriend and two kids. 
I think might be, and I still have them, so that's Hooray. a positive. But how do I put this? I like to say that I run towards a cliff always. There is a, it, I believe in what we're doing. That is one piece of it. Number two is regardless of how big the challenge is in front of you, no matter how many people tell you no, and no matter how many like reasons why you probably will never succeed there are that exist out there, just keep going. It is not going, like, it was not the first time necessarily, right, that I had failed at something and doing and trying to start this thing. And I wouldn't say I failed. What I would say is, and this is the craziest thing, is that it wasn't just me. I had employees and team members. None of them left. We all figured out a way to keep moving forward, regardless of the situation. And there was always a, here's a plan. Here's what we're doing. Here's the obstacles that are there. But personally, I don't think there was ever a moment during that time where I was like, I'm done. Every single day was, well, what can I do today? Right? Let's, let's keep doing something. Let's keep moving. You know, let's keep going out there and pitching. Let's keep talking about what we're doing. Let's try to find a way to build the next thing. I burned a battery pack down in my garage and my home. And, you know, that's the fire department and there's holes there and my family was there. And those are those moments when most people will say, I can't, right? Because that's scary. Mm -hmm. That's that moment. I mean, there's a brand new house too that I was in. But those are the moments where most people would say, man, you know, I'm like running out of money or this is scary. Like this could have ended really badly. And that's also the moment where we sat down and we're like, all right, well, let's build another one. Let's do it again. And and that's all. I, I can keep going on with this, but it's just, you have to keep going. Yeah. And having fantastic partners and team members and stuff that are working through this. My family, my girlfriend's been amazing through this because, I mean, brand new house, lit it on fire. And her response was, okay. <laughs> um, you know. That's big. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, I think sometimes we overlook uh, some of the backstory that really is the catalyst for success, the way in which we think and the way we interact and the right people on our team and that, uh, that grit and the tenacity. So I appreciate you sharing that. And then enters Annie. Well, <laughs> Take it from there. I think what's um, really cool about that first couple years too is, okay, yes, you ran out of money, but you also oversubscribed a crowdfunding campaign. Yep. So there was clear demand that people wanted to fund this mm -hmm. thing. There were just some regulatory hurdles to get there. And really, when I joined, it was at this really awesome time. I mean, we had no money, but we had thousands of people lined up being like, I want to put $100 into this. or I want to put $200 into this. You guys just need to get your stuff together so that I can do it. So we, we did that. Uh, the next regulation crowdfunding campaign, we raised a million bucks in like a day. And it was, it was wild. That had to have been um, incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it didn't feel real, but it was because there were these people that believed in the vision and they'd seen, okay, last time they raised a million bucks on a PowerPoint deck, right? Since then, they built a battery pack and charged it in 12 minutes and something seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is real mm -hmm. and people will support a really good idea. Um, I think you had that insight originally and that insight has been what's carried us through really until late last year when we closed our last round. Um, of crowdfunding. So we raised the next million bucks um, in like eight hours. We went to Backyard Taco for lunch. It was very exciting <laughs> with like the three other 
uh, team members, we decided we've got to get out of the garage. Um, We're not even out of the garage at this point. That makes sense, but thank you for the visual. Yeah. So um, we got up to, I think, 15 team members at your house. Mm -hmm. Wow. His poor family. Uh What's your girlfriend's name? Zenda. Zenda. Thank you, Zenda. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah. So we got 15 people hired because we knew, okay, the next step is we need to start working toward production intent, product design. Mm -hmm. So we had the prototype. Next part's production. We can't produce production level anything in your home. And so we found a facility. We sold them on the vision. The landlord was like, okay, we believe in it. Um, Because you look at our financials and it's, oh, this company is just red. But we got 15 people into the building. We were getting power brought into the building. At first, we were just on one really, really long extension cord. Yes. Love it. And we had our, we decided we were going to open the building with our first battery demo publicly. Mm -hmm. So we hosted, it was an invitation to all crowdfunding shareholders and local sort of media, come watch us charge a battery live. And we worked overnight to get it all ready. We were building Ikea desks and the whole shebang. We did the battery day. It was awesome. And like three days later, COVID hit and everybody went home. And so that summer of 2020 was us figuring out, okay, how do you survive in a scenario where a company like us that's super hardware dependent shouldn't? How do you grow? Grow is the right word. You're right. It's not survive. I mean, how we were... It was like, okay, let's build another battery pack. Yep. How do we do that when everyone's scared to get near each other? Right. Yeah, so we were driving a battery pack from the charging station. We'd throw it in the back of someone's truck, take it to their driveway. They'd work mm-hmm. on it overnight. we take it to someone else's driveway. They'd do whatever they needed to do. One guy's apartment, I think. We yeah. had it in apartments. Um, we had it back at the facility, and we would just sort of uh, sanitize. and. You just do whatever you have to do to make it work. Because the the op, the other option was everyone stays at home, nothing happens, and we just run out of money again. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew that progress for us was a path to more capital. And that's like a, a cycle that would continue as Atlas executed. And so the more we execute, the more money we'll raise and we'll get to keep going. And that took us through really 2020, 2021. We got up to, actually, I think we hired like 20 interns summer of 2020. We were, mm. yeah, Drew, who's here with us. Did we um, you were 2020? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Drew um, was one of our interns. So a bunch of companies that had internship programs in 2020 said, no, we're actually not going to hire you guys because everything's uncertain right now. And so there are all these kids that had opportunities lined up that then got bailed on. Yeah. We saw it as an opportunity. We could use all the help we can get. And so Drew's one of one of the many. We actually have quite a few that are still with us. Mm-hmm. Drew built our entire social media presence, which ultimately ended up fueling the future crowdfunding campaigns. So that was very, very cool. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. We should get Drew in here someday. And I know. I, I, he won't oh, be yeah. behind the camera anymore. <laughs> I think he's pretty content behind the camera right now, <laughs> yeah. but next time. <laughs> he's been in front of it like two times. Yeah. Okay. Well, next time. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Good. Okay. So that takes us up to 2021. 20, yeah. So through 2021, I mean, we built, um, the, the real effort was going from that prototype level to production level on the battery side. Yeah. And with that came all kinds of 
Yeah, I mean, twenty twenty one was. It, it, there is no point in history where it wasn't like, hey, let's make a decision and this is going to be challenging and we're going to work through this. In 2021, we built our first battery cell in-house. Um, and we've got all these, like, we needed a dry room. So in January, mm-hmm. uh, we couldn't afford a dry room. So a dry room, for people who like yeah. don't know, it's a room that has very specifically controlled temperature and humidity. And you have to build batteries in that environment so that they essentially work the way they're supposed to. Yeah. So we we couldn't afford one. So in January of 2021, we literally said, well, what's a dry room? And, and everything we do is about fundamental problems. So if yeah. it's raising capital, it's fundamentally, how does that happen? If it's developing a product, fundamentally, what is the challenge that we have there? If we're going to build a battery cell, fundamentally, what do we need? A dry room was no different. We talk about this one a lot because this is a... One of our core values is make it happen. This is a great example of that is we had to build one. They were about half a million dollars. We had nowhere near that amount of capital available to us. So uh, we built one out of Home Depot parts and some plastic wrap and insulation. And Sky Vincent, Zilka, myself, um, some of the other people. Um, Justin. Justin, uh, who's another intern who's with us now as an engineer. I basically got in my truck, grabbed the trailer, went to Home Depot, bought a bunch of stuff, came back, and we started building that night at like 8 o'clock that night. We built a dry room. And then that summer, we finally completed the first version of the AMV, what we call a cube cell or AMV cell, V1. And the most amazing thing about that, it was a 24-hour day when we it were building so the cool. first one. It we was... didn't think when we built the dry room to build windows. Yeah. Because we're just focused on walls, temperature control, humidity control. Right. And so then we built this thing and it worked. But from the outside, you had no idea what was going on the inside. Yeah. So anyway, you can keep going. No, no, no keep going. Yeah. But we're, we're sitting. <laughs> those of us that aren't involved in actually building it are just sitting outside the dry room. <laughs> What's happening? What's happening in there? We're like yelling through. And then finally, we set up a video feed. And so we're all huddled around the laptop watching as these guys build the very first one. Yeah, and the first one worked. That Mm -hmm. was the most amazing thing, is no one builds like their first cell, and then it just miraculously like charges. It shouldn't have worked. It should not have worked. There's no reason why. I mean, there are reasons why it should have worked, but given the the process and like these guys, the engineers at the time, they'd been up for 24 hours as it was. Um, we were pushing through the Wayne's thing. eyes were just so yeah. red because it's so dry in there. And he'd yeah. been in there for hours. And so his eyes are just so dry. Archit was like, I just, he's like, the sun is coming up. I've never seen a sunset before in my life. Um, and you're seeing it through the dry room. That's that's the funny thing is he's not like even outside. He's in the dry room and he's seeing it through the wall right. um, that's in there. So we built our first cell uh, June 2021. And that was a huge milestone. We built about six or so after that. Um, but that first one worked. And that was just like this moment of like, okay, we're doing this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's happening. We also built the prototype truck mm-hmm. that same month, which in May of that year, we did like a, not quite a, uh, pretty much a sort of, hey, we've got two months to build this truck. What we've been doing wasn't working out very well. So I know the date, May 15th. May 15th, sat down with Derek, who's the longest running Atlas employee. He's been with me since pretty much day one. Yeah, he started in 2018. 2018. 
And Derek and I sat down and we're like, this is how we're going to do it. We put a plan together. These guys um, and gals, they they built a truck, a prototype truck in 60 days. <laughs> and it was wild. But that battery cell moment, though, that happened in between there was like this huge, like we've been talking about it. We did demos, we did prototypes, we built this thing. And then from there, it's been scaling it, trying to figure out how we build more of them, like trying to solve all of those challenges. This is not an easy industry to do uh, or to do this in. It's averages over a billion dollars if you're building something from zero to your first dollar of revenue. Yeah. So when we talk about raising a million dollars, like to the audience, that might sound like a lot of money, but in for an electric vehicle company, average $2 billion to get a product to market. For a battery company, it's even more. And, and we're doing, doing both. both. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, and we're doing both like, yeah, simultaneous. same simultaneously, same time. So, and then the story from there is, I mean, we built the first ones and the second ones and the third ones. And you're dealing with, you know, there's coatings and all these pieces and stuff that are really challenging. Um, timing's challenging. COVID issues are still happening. I was just thinking that, like, right? It's not only the, the people issue with COVID, but also supply and demand and the chain and all those challenges. Everything is, yeah, everything. But, you know, we've managed to like overcome almost every challenge related to like either supply chain COVID or whatever it is. I think it comes down to like culturally, Mark mentioned, make it happen. That's been a big part of how we do things where, you know, it's never going to go according to plan. So, we adjust. We figure it out. What's plan B? What's plan C? And, um, you know, COVID, there's nothing you can do to control for that. So find another supplier. Okay. Um, this one might work. Okay. Let's, you know, go out to New York, check it out, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just find a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's so much of that, I think, ingrained in, even yeah. today. It's very much so that way. What is happening today? Get us uh what's what's next for you guys well we recently earlier this month we crossed 100 employees that's a big number for us especially here in arizona uh 90 percent here in arizona yeah Uh, we got a handful of remote people but you know what we learned during covid is especially on the engineering side it's so efficient to be working side by side with people and so a lot of our roles can't be remote Mm -hmm. um some can but some can't. And so um, 100 people is a big one, though. I feel like with that, we're feeling a lot of change. Process is like a word that is exciting, but also doesn't feel good sometimes. And we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we go from low volume production to high volume production? And that's a big leap that we have to make this year. Yeah. This year, the the focus is on scale. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're manufacturing cells, we're manufacturing and developing packs for uh, external customers. We've got internal customers as well for those particular products. So right now, what is going on is it's those growing pains. It's mm-hmm. sort of, you know, we're going from, uh, I think David Apps puts it best, is like we're getting out of the garage. We are trying to move from this company that is very much so like fast moving, we pivot on a technology or solution when we need to, to more operationally focused in some aspects of the business. I don't want to kill that. Like We have to do both. Yeah, we have to do that. But we have to have that startup mentality always. Mm -hmm. 
But now we have to we have to grow right into this sort of process oriented. Yeah, we're talking about like day shifts yeah. and night shifts and weekend shifts yeah. and all these things that are new. Yeah, for we us. have two shifts today. We're mm-hmm. moving to three shifts mm-hmm. on production coming up. We've got all these like control. It, it's it's so interesting because I mean we don't not come from a background where we do manufacturing. We've done this before. I've done this right. on what fifty something products before. But it's always interesting to go from that transition of like idea to concept to product to manufacturing and then scaling manufacturing. It is hard, but it's it's another one of those make it happen moments. Yeah, it's um, part it's part of doing this thing, right? Right. right. Yeah. So, so we're public now though, too. I mean, that's a yeah, huge speak to that. You want to yeah, yeah so, go for that. Um so throughout from 2018, when you launched the first campaign to last fall, we raised about $36 million through equity crowdfunding, um, which was very cool. Um, we became very good at it. Um, and what we realized, though, was, okay, to make this next leap, to go from where we are today to where we want to be at the end of this year, we're going to need to raise a lot more money. Equity crowdfunding is awesome in that you're raising money every day. And so that's great because every day, you know, dollars come in and we can decide what are we doing with them today. But to scale and plan for the year, we're looking at massive capital equipment, expenses, manufacturing equipment, and we knew we needed to raise money in a round like a like a other companies do it, right? And so in talking to investors and all the different ways that we might do that, we realized becoming a public company allows us to have a lot more options in terms of the types of capital we could raise. What are some of the fears that show up when you are teetering on that decision? I don't think we had many. Um, (laughs) What's interesting about equity crowdfunding is once you've done more than one round, you're required to do things like audits and you file annual reports with the SEC. And so you kind of are like a public company with training wheels on. And so with that, it actually makes the idea of going public less daunting, I think, because we're like, okay, we kind of know how to do this. It'll be different. We're all kind of, already kind of doing it. But we're already kind of doing it. So for us, that part wasn't scary. It was more figuring out, okay, what's the right path to actually go through that process? So like a normal company would do either an IPO or a direct listing. SPACs. Or a SPAC a deal, yeah. you're right. And a lot of our, what people would consider our competitors um, did SPAC deals to go public. Yep. Um, what we saw last year was the reality was if you did a SPAC deal, you didn't actually get any cash from the transaction. Um, the redemption rates with SPACs, which I think a lot of people who aren't like deep in it don't realize this. During a SPAC deal, the investors in the SPAC have an uh, option to redeem, which is essentially to like take their money back. And so last year, what was happening with SPAC deals is redemption rates were like 97, 98, 99%. And so the actual cash coming to the company was zero. Mm-hmm. Or negative. Uh, or, or negative yeah. because you have costs um, associated with lawyers and stuff like that. And so for us, we were like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, why would we pay money to go public? Um, so what we actually ended up doing was using one of our equity crowdfunding campaigns, working with NASDAQ and the SEC and saying, this is essentially a public offering. We want to register the shares associated with this offering on the public markets. And a couple companies have done stuff like this before. So we were lucky. I think we we got 
great partners at NASDAQ and the SEC who worked with us. And ultimately, we flipped our Reg A Plus public. So it wasn't a direct listing. It was kind of an IPO, but it was a crowdfunded IPO. And that's what took us public in September last year. of last, of last year. year. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it was so it, wild. Yeah. Well, and then I mean, the week of it was wild. The week of it is wild, which we still can't talk about all of that yet. <laughs> yeah, but. I guess what we can say is um, part of that process, you really want to be able to pick a date and then plan a whole campaign around that date. Because of the way we were doing it, there was so much up in the air that what ended up happening was we had like 24-hour notice Mm. that this is happening. And so then, you know, you make it happen. Um, And the team mobilized. and Yeah, I think we got notice Sunday morning at like Uh 8 a.m. that Tuesday? Yes. Tuesday, we were ringing the bell. I think. No, no, no when, Tuesday we went public. Wednesday Tuesday we, we went public. Wednesday we were ringing the bell. And we had marketing materials to take out there. We had to book flights for people, we hotels. We had a vehicle. We had a vehicle so that, had to, that had to be there. So we had team members mobilize at like two in the afternoon on Sunday, got in a truck, grabbed the vehicle, the trailer, all the content, and started driving. So, to New York, to New York. City, yeah. from Arizona. From Arizona. And they didn't so, stop. They didn't stop until Tuesday night at uh-huh. like midnight or wow. something when they arrived. And then went all morning because they couldn't set up till like five, six in the morning, yeah. something like that, which is another crazy story because they're, they're trying to set up and it's the one time that they wash the windows at Times NASDAQ Square. the whole or Times Square the once whole year. Once a year, right? Yeah, once a year. Right? Funny. Yeah, but it's just this nutty story of like we had no sort of heads up or anything. I mean, we knew like something was coming, but to get it like Sunday morning, by Sunday afternoon, mobilize the entire team, figure out travel plans, get there, do everything on Tuesday. Mary, who's with us today, I mean, fantastic job. She's running everything from like the PR marketing side of this and like trying to catch up, so to speak, with like the short-term window. But again, it's, it's make it happen, right? There was no sort of like, oh, it can't be done. It was purely just, okay, this is what needs to get done. Can you guys do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And everyone just, it, and it turned into this crazy, exciting moment for us. I mean, we had people on Teams calls. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to yeah, like, go. on the planes, we had like four different teams on four different planes on Teams calls while they're traveling over here on video while yeah, we're Southwest doing this. Southwest doesn't like it when you're on a video <laughs> yeah, call. Yeah, so we're all doing this. We're all coordinating. <laughs> There's some of us in New York we're getting these like daily updates from the team driving and it just turned into this like big, exciting, everybody had fun, like crazy event. But it, it was not easy to do that. But you're right. I mean, it's unconventional, but it's also very much so Atlas way of mm-hmm. like going public and, and sort of moving to the next steps and how do we grow from here? Yeah. Have you seen the documentary Beyond Zero? No. No. So as part of the conscious capitalism movement, uh, GCU uh, showed the documentary, it was sometime last year, towards the end of the year. And it's about a carpet company who took 20 years to uh, change the way the industry works so it was more sustainable, right? So the fabric that they use is is um, zero. <laughs> uh, it's beyond zero, right? There's... It, and the commitment, I, it's a, a documentary I hope you guys will watch because I'm, I'm listening to what's happening right now since 2017, 2016. 
and what's happening right now in 2023 for you. And the, the foresight that you've had, the drive, this let's get it done, the, the passion, the team and all that uh, is so similar to how I felt watching this incredible documentary on the big screen at the arena. And, and you're again, you're changing an entire industry. You're solving a problem that, that needed to be solved. So anyway, just we'll it makes me, it yeah, I think, yeah, we'll, I think yeah. you'd be fascinated with, um, and it, it's just an incredible story. And there are so many similarities, I think, mm-hmm. about what we're talking about. From a consumer perspective, and maybe the naive consumer perspective, what, what do we need to be aware of? Um, I mean, you have internal customers already. You've got some folks that you're working with out, outside of that. I, what does this mean for us in the area of EV? Well, I think today, the, the way I look at it or the way we, we look at it as an organization is that today, there is a very clear movement towards electrification. Um, but there's a hesitation there. And there's a compromise required to make that transition. Now, I'm a firm believer that if you want to change the world, it requires no compromise, which means if we build a product, it has to be so incredibly compelling that you have people want to make that transition. It's, it cannot be forced. I'm not a big fan of government-mandated change. Um, it always comes, there's good reasons for it, like catalytic converter was a fantastic reason for it. But I'm a big fan of changing the world through development of products, technology, solutions, business models that are so incredibly compelling that when someone moves or they transition, they will look back and they'll say, why the fuck was I doing that? Like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Mary just gave me a look. Um, (laughs) First one. And and she's not even in the room. (laughs) But but it has to be that, that, that level of sort of like, change that you're looking for. And for us and what we're doing, the reason why we started with batteries is because we want to create that moment. Mm -hmm. We want to create that that product that is so compelling, that is so different, that that literally draws you into it versus I'm afraid of it. I don't want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I love my diesel. I love my gas. And now that I know better... I need to do better is what I'm hearing you say. It's, right? it's not even that. They'll do it without even having that be the motivation. Because it's going to be better. So right. so what do you drive today? Do you drive an electric car? No. No. Why not? I don't know. Probably education. Mm. And I, my first thought was cost, expense, yeah. mm-hmm. and not longevity, but distance. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But those are all the reasons, right? Um, I don't drive an electric vehicle either because I have a car that's old but paid off, right? Um, it gets pretty good gas mileage. And I don't have to worry if I'm driving from where I live to LA or whatever mm-hmm. about charging infrastructure. And so I think those problems that are unanswered today by electric vehicles have to get answered. And then the vehicle has to be better than what we're used to for us to be like, I'm making the change. The entire ownership experience has mm-hmm. to be better. So the vehicle industry, including the the number one player that's out there today, has not fundamentally changed this industry in terms of how it operates. It's very transactional. Mm -hmm. Now, from my perspective, and this is a little visionary, is I believe in the next 10 to 15 years, this concept or idea of consumption of energy is going to go away. I think it's going to transition to this concept of access. 
Today, you have your phone. You remember when you used to pay for data on your phone? Some people might still do it, but now, I mean, I, I pay a monthly fee and it's unlimited and also covers my phone and covers my kid's phone and, and everybody else. So this idea that in 10 to 15 years, you'll pay for access to energy. Well, if I'm paying for access to energy, what does that apply to? That's going to apply to not just your vehicle, but your home, the infrastructure, charging, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So if we can apply this technology that we're developing today to that future, hmm. it's going to be so incredibly compelling to make the switch that you're not going to do it because you're trying to save the planet. You're not going to do it because you think global warming is real. You're not going to do it because it's better for us. You're going to do it because it's simply just better for you. And the byproduct of that is that we are doing all of those great things with it. And that's this idea that if you're going to change the world, you have to build something that is better, that is more compelling than what they do today. Um, so therefore, you'll switch mm -hmm. without even thinking about the impacts of what that switch is. But that impact is positive. So from our perspective, and, and that's where Annie and I come from too. I mean, that's what we did at Axon is mm -hmm. we built products that were so compelling. They didn't add time, to, you know, all these things. We didn't de degrade the value of their daily lives. Well, if we're going to do that in this particular industry, whether it's right now, it's energy, tomorrow it's automotive. The next day after that, it could be construct. It could be anything really. Yeah. Let's do that in such a way that it just, they, they naturally want to gravitate towards that solution. And the alternative, which is what you have today, just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. hmm. The word stewardship keeps showing up for me. I mean, this, you're, you're a steward of so many things as you, as you set the pace for everybody else. It's phenomenal. Uh, we only have a few minutes left in our conversation, so I want to make sure that I had a chance to give you an opportunity to highlight the things that you wanted to highlight. Maybe we should... Lean in so that Mary could tell tell us what we <laughs> missed. But what uh, is there anything else about what's happening today? What's next? Um, what we should be paying attention to that I hadn't thought to ask that we want to close out the show with? I would plug quickly that I said we're we're at a hundred people today, and that's awesome. We're looking at being several hundred very quickly, mm -hmm. and so um, with that, we need a lot of really good people, and so um, we'll be hiring for all types of jobs, and I think. Um, for people who are passionate and like the culture that we are talking about, we need more of that. So, yeah, check out our website, yeah. um, atlasmotorvehicles.com slash careers, I think. Okay. Um, or go to the Atlas website and find the careers tab. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 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 I, I actually, I couldn't have said that any better. I mean, it, you know, we're looking to grow. We're looking for talented people that... Um, want to solve these sort of complex, interesting problems that are looking for something that is challenging and exciting. I try to emphasize as much as I can that it's not a job. This We have a purpose. We have a drive. We're trying to do something. And there's an impact that we're going to make with what we're doing. It's a lot of work and it's challenging, but it's also really fun and exciting at the same time. Uh, very few companies have blue sky sort of approach to how do you solve the problem? And we're one of those companies that are doing it. And it's not just engineering. I mean, we're doing it on the media side. We're doing mm -hmm. it. I mean, we've Annie, Mary, Drew, Evan, and the rest of the team, I mean, they have built this media engine mm -hmm. within this company that's going to be incredible as we continue to grow. And it's going to help us with that. But there's the technical side. There's the manufacturing side 
tons of opportunities out there and we need help mm-hmm. to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> fast and furious hour. Uh, fascinating. Uh, you both are obviously on LinkedIn. Uh, you mentioned the website, atlasmotorvehicles.com. Yep, mm-hmm. A-T-L-I-S, okay. Motor Vehicles. Where on social media? LinkedIn, obviously, but where else are, can people follow your story and um, your success? It's actually probably most interesting to follow us on YouTube. So YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, they all point back to YouTube. Okay, But good. we share weekly updates every week and progress updates in between that. So there's a ton of content if you want to follow our story. I feel like that's one of the things that Kate was telling me about when we first really got connected at the Governor's Innovation Celebration because you have been doing that for quite some time. Like, this yeah. is, hey, this is what we're faced with today. Mm-hmm. And I think I heard her say something along the lines like, we're, we don't know how we're solving this yet, but we're not, we know we're going to. Is it that approach? That's right. And I mean, when we talked about crowdfunding and how progress translated to us being able to raise money, social media was the medium through which we could deliver that story. So mm-hmm. we built a huge following on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube to reach people so they could sort of join us and, and follow it's working. Along. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else for the good of the order? We're good. <laughs> no, yes, I, know. I can keep going. I, I know so we could for you're hours. You're going to cut me off. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And I, I really appreciate all the shout outs to your team, of course, uh, because it really is uh, what makes a difference when you have a founder who has this passion and purpose and then you start to bring on the right people and you continue to look back and say, hey, I couldn't have done this without you. That, that speaks volumes about who you guys are leaders. So great conversation today. And, and we will invite you back and have a couple other people sit behind the mics as well next time, even though you have your right own on. media mecca going apparently. So <laughs> I feel very blessed to have this opportunity to, to learn about you guys today. And, and I'm grateful that you guys are here in Arizona and you are members of the Arizona Technology Council. We are, yeah. Yeah. So we'll put a bug in Bianca's ear and Steve's ear to make sure we get you on one of our shows so that we share time with them as well. You've been listening to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.